Tonight we're going to be in Isaiah 48. Hope you've had a good week. I better turn this on. No, oh, it is on. <coughs> As we uh, read the biblical account of Isaiah and God's dealings with Israel, describing the times of the end, much is said about the millennium, about the reign of Christ here, and uh, some has talked about the setup for it. There's a great deal in Isaiah talking about the judgment of uh, somewhat um, Israel, mostly Judah, and, uh, and then its reestablishment. So Isaiah covers a huge scope as we're reading through it. But what's amazing to me is as we read the newspaper or listen to the current events, it's as if we have jumped into the deep water of Isaiah. Just so many things today going on and so many um, events. And, and uh, worldwide, the, the tensions that are building between nations. Uh, here we thought we had Russia all nice and neatly boxed uh, after the Cold War. It was, it, it was all, all taken care of. We don't have to worry about Russia any longer. Well, isn't it interesting how during that time some Bible teachers were kind of scratching their heads because they were convinced that Russia would play a very large role in the end times and be a world power. Well, guess what? <laughs> Russia is rising once again in their world domination. China, the powers of the East, rising once again. The, uh, the, the nations of the Middle East, could they be any less settled? All this going on right now. And um, I can't help but believe that this is all a, uh, a setup, a cry, if you will, from the nations of the world for a leader that knows what he's doing, a leader they can put their confidence in, somebody that knows how to handle their finances, someone that we can say, you know what, we're sick and tired of this, just take the reins of our country and lead us. And at that point, we'll see in a very fast fashion, a one world leader. And I have no doubt whatsoever that that one world leader is being groomed as we speak. I want us to look now at Isaiah 48. I'll read just a verse or two. We'll pray and get into tonight's lesson. And by the way, don't quote me in that saying that I know when the Lord's returning because I don't. I don't. It looks like it could be soon. It looks like events are clearer than ever. But I heard a lot of pastors say that back in 1980 as well. And that came and went, and then 1981 came and went, then 1984 came and went, and then the early 90s came and went. Then, of course, Y2K, surely we're not going to make it through Y2K with the Lord's return. Well, here we are in 2023. So, Lord knows. Verse number 1, Isaiah 48. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. Verse 2, For they call themselves of the holy city, and stay themselves upon the God of Israel, 
The Lord of hosts is his name. If you're taking notes, Roman numeral one is God's people of disappointment. God's people of disappointment. <laughs> of all the emotions that I stirred in my dad, the one that I feared the greatest was not his anger, it was his disappointment. And here we see that God is disappointed in his chosen people. I want us to pray and ask God to meet with us this evening. Dear Lord, thank you for your love and for giving us this incredible book of Isaiah. Lord, I pray that you might meet with us tonight. Spirit of God, lead us, quicken our minds. Lord, uh, many of us are, uh, have put a, bit, put a big week in already. And I pray, Lord, that you will uh, uh, make us alert and, and give to us tonight the truths you'd have for us. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for giving us these prophetic looks. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God delivered this message to his people here identified as the house of Jacob, also called Israel. Jacob's name is used to identify his descendants, that great nation chosen by God. Their covenant name is Israel, referring to Jacob gaining favor from God in prevailing prayer. Out of the tribe of Judah would come their Messiah, their king, who would unite them all once again as one. His people formally called upon the name of the Lord, meaning that they had not totally committed themselves to idols. Jehovah God was still their chosen deity, though he warned their commitment to him was not in truth, not in righteousness. So he said their, their uh, submission to him was simply lip service. In Leviticus 19:12, And ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Letter A. Israel was God's chosen people, but was not true to him. God chose them. He was true to them. They were not true to him. Verse 2. For they call themselves of the holy city and stay themselves upon the God of Israel, the Lord of hosts is his name. Letter B. Israel claimed to trust in God. They claimed to trust in God. Jerusalem was called the holy city because it was the location of the temple. It was the center of Jewish worship and public reverence to God. Though their lives were given to idolatry and wickedness of all kinds, they continued to glory in the fact that they resided in the holy city of God. They outwardly professed to place their trust and confidence upon the Lord, the Lord of hosts. Micah 3.11, The heads thereof judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord? And say, is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Letter B, Israel claimed to trust in God. Lip service, empty words. Verse 3, I have declared the former things from the beginning, and they went forth out of my mouth, and I shewed them. I did them suddenly, and they came to pass. Letter C, God reminded Judah of his perfect record of prophecy. You know, every time God made a prophecy, it came true, every time. And if it hasn't happened yet, it will 100% truly come to pass. 
God reminded his people that he had accurately prophesied events from the beginning all throughout their history until now. Each event was precisely foretold and then came to pass in exact detail. He reminded Judah of his perfect record of prophecies. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old. I am of God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Verse 4. Because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. Letter D. Judah's true condition was far from their declaration. God stripped away Judah's facade to reveal their true heart's condition. They had declared their allegiance to God while at the same time being rebellious and stiff-necked. They were a stubborn people, firmly planted in their ways. Jeremiah 5.3, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Letter D, Judah's true condition was far from their declaration. What they were was not what they said they were. They were hypocrites. Number two, God and prophecy. Verse 5, I have, even from the beginning, declared it to thee. Before it came to pass, I showed it to thee. Lest thou shouldst say, Mine idol hath done them, and my graven image, and my molten image, hath commanded them. Letter A, God declared the reason for his frequent prophecies. God revealed the reason behind his frequent prophecies. His people were so given to idolatry. He knew that if he did not accurately foretell them long before they occurred, Judah would simply give all the credit to the miracle of their gods. Again, the depraved condition of the hearts of God's people is revealed here. He looked at them. He heard what they said, but did not match what was in their hearts. They said, we believe in Jehovah God. We are your people. All the while, loving and worshiping idol, idols. Did I give you letter A? God declared the reason for his frequent prophecies. Okay. Verse 6. Thou hast heard, see all this, and will not ye declare it? I have showed thee new things from this time, even hidden things, and thou didst not know them. Letter B. God challenged his people to acknowledge and declare his works. God challenged Judah to acknowledge his great works of the past. What had God done in the past? Judah, tell me, what have I done in the past? Well, of course, it didn't take him long. Well, coming out of, coming out of uh, Egypt, you parted the Red Sea. You killed all the Egyptians. You brought water out of a rock. You did some amazing things in the past. And he reminded them of his great feats of the past. He even revealed some new things that had not occurred yet. These new things could refer to his prophecies regarding the rise and defeat 
by Cyrus, along with the surprising decree by Cyrus to rebuild the temple. And Babylon has not even become a world power, and God is already prophesying its defeat. Some commentators believe these new things look to the next chapter when the prophecies address the coming Messiah and his coming kingdom. Isaiah 43.10, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. The letter B, God challenged his people to God challenges people to acknowledge and declare his works. Verse 7, they are created now and not from the beginning, even before the day when thou heardest them not, lest thou should say, Behold, I knew them. Better see, God here described the importance of prophecy, and he makes much in this chapter of prophecy, of telling the future. Even at the time of Isaiah, there were many, many prophets, if you will, those that told the future. The problem with them is they were not 100% accurate. Some of them might be 80% accurate, some 40% accurate, but none of them were 100% accurate unless it was God speaking through them. And God here describes the importance. God reinforced the fact that he was behind the great works of the past and the ones that had not happened yet. There had been no foreknowledge of the events other than God's prophetic word. Man could not discern them nor divine them. God knew the inclination in man's hearts to try and discredit God. Verse 8, Yea, thou heardest not, yea, thou knewest not, Yea, from that time that thine ear was not opened, for I knew that thou wouldst deal very treacherously, and what's called a transgressor from the womb. Letter D. Judah was so hard-hearted, they remained unaffected by God's prophecies. Didn't matter what God prophesied, they weren't going to change. God told Judah he knew them well. Their hearts were so blinded, even after he told them what was in their future, they would not comprehend it. In spite of the revelation of what lie ahead, they would continue to live wickedly and rebelliously. Jacob had been called a deceiver in the beginning. Certainly, this was a condemnation against Judah. However, according to Romans 3.23, it applied to all mankind as all are sinners. Verse 9, For my name's sake will I defer mine anger. For my praise will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee off, not off. Letter E, God would remain faithful to his covenant with his people. Judah was not cut off, even though they should have been. God said, I'm going to be true to you because of my word. I'm true to myself. Not because of anything redemptive in them, but because of his mercy and his predetermined will for them. God had made a covenant with Abraham that he repeated to Isaac and to Jacob. He would remain true to his word regardless of the unworthiness of his people. God kept Judah that they might, at least in time, give him his due praise. 
Psalm 78, 38. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not. Yea, many a time turned he his anger away and did not stir up all his wrath. For he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passeth away and cometh not again. And I tell you, I'm grateful tonight that God remembers that I'm flesh. I'm grateful that God remembers who I am. And I'm grateful that God sees me through the shed blood of his son. Otherwise, otherwise I would have pushed his mercy too far long ago. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, very much so. Exactly right. Verse 10. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. Letter F, the furnace of affliction was in Judah's future. God's purpose then, as in today, is to refine his people. Judah had become polluted with the idols of the lands. God determined that they should walk holy before him, dedicated only to him. To that end, he put them through fires of adversity. Being refined by silver may describe man's way of promotion. A man may work harder and better himself as an employee because of the desire for more silver. Another application may refer to the process of refining silver. Perhaps in using this analogy, God's telling his people that they are not the silver but the dross. That which is heated up and brought to the top as refuge and then scraped off and thrown away in the garbage. In their current spiritual state, they were worthless. In any case, his plan for his people would include frequent furnaces that they might be rid of their addiction to idols. Zechariah 13, 9, And I will bring the third part through the fire, will refine them as silver is refined, will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, and I will hear them. I will say, It is my people, and they shall say, The Lord is my God. Verse 11. For mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory unto another. Letter G. For God's own sake, he determined chastening upon his people. God would chasten his people for his benefit. To protect the integrity of his name among the heathen, he would have to allow them to see his people being judged for their sin. He could not give up entirely on Judah. For if he did, the heathen would simply rejoice in the victory of their gods. God is jealous of his glory and refuses to share with anyone or anything else. Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Number three, God, the true God. Verse 12, hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called, I am he, I am the first, I am also the last. Letter A, God called out to his people as the first and the last. It's not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that God's identified himself as the first and the last, the eternal one. 
God called out to his people, reminding them that they held the significance of being his chosen people. My called. God had made a covenant with Abraham that through him would come a mighty and prosperous nation. God repeated a title of himself here as the first and the last. Isaiah 44, 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last. And beside me there is no God. Again, Revelation 1.11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Verse 13. Mine hand also hath laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand hath spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. And of course, what's being described here is God speaking the words and the worlds being created. God speaking the worlds into creation. Letter B, God is the creator. As does all of creation, his people should obey. God declares it was he who created the world and the heavens. He had made references to his mighty works. Now he gets more specific. As all of creation obediently responds to his command, so should the people who bear his name. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For that he is strong in power, not one faileth. Verse 14. All ye assemble yourselves, and hear. Which among them hath declared these things? The Lord hath loved him. He will do his pleasure on Babylon, and his arm shall be on the Chaldeans. Letter C. God alone could bring a prophecy of Babylon's destruction. What false god could say before Babylon even rose to power that Babylon was going to be destroyed and name the one who was going to be destroying them long before he was even born, Cyrus. In a general call to all, which likely includes the heathen, God challenges them to declare one of them had prophesied Babylon's destruction. Of course, not one of them could. Then the Lord declared his love for him. Though this could refer to his people, it likely points to the man that would be used to overthrow Babylon in the future. The man of God's choosing, the man that would come to power in about 175 years from this prophecy, named Cyrus. Cyrus would do God's pleasure on Babylon and destroy the Chaldeans. God loved Cyrus because he would fit into his purpose. This is not necessarily a commendation to the moral condition of Cyrus, simply to his willingness to obey. Isaiah 44, 28, that saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Verse 15, I, even I, have spoken, Yea, I have called him, I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. Letter D. I think he's talking here of Cyrus. Cyrus was called of God, as was Christ 
as the Son of God. I believe this is another reference to the coming Cyrus, whom God called as his servant. God would direct him and make his way prosperous. This passage is likely also a look beyond Cyrus to Christ, also the called of God. He would be called a way, capital W, the way, that would be prosperous, a gift of eternal life available to all. Verse 16, Come ye near unto me, hear ye this, I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and His Spirit hath sent me. Letter E, Jehovah, representing the Trinity, gathered His people for a message. God called His people to assemble and hear what He had to say. He had not kept His declarations a secret. His prophecies and commandments had been clearly delivered to them all. There had been no confusion at the parting of the Red Sea that it was God who did it. When Moses returned with the commandments, there was no mistaking their origin, and the numerous times that God had delivered His message through His prophets were all obvious indications that God was speaking. As such, He as Jehovah God declared that He was now among them, along with the Lord God, the Father, and His Spirit. The Father and the Spirit have sent me. Catch it? Father and the Spirit have sent me. There's your Trinity. There's a clear scriptural revelation of the three in one, the Trinity. Verse 17, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth, teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldst go. Letter F, the Lord Jehovah was Judah's teacher and guide. Here the Lord revealed himself as their Redeemer. Of course, a look to Christ on the cross. The Holy One of Israel, another look to the coming Messiah and the Lord Jehovah, the Old Testament appropriation of Jesus Christ. He was their teacher and guide, enabling them to profit and led them in His way. Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with my eye. Do you hear, do you hear how God is talking to His rebellious people? Judgments on the way. Assyria is marching. And God sent this amazing prophecy through the prophet Isaiah that would include a time in the future of their being restored and rebuilt. Now a time where Babylon, that hadn't even been a world power yet, is going to rise to world power and be destroyed by Cyrus, who hasn't been born yet. All of these prophecies God is making to his rebellious people to show them, I am still in control. I am still in charge. I hold the future in my hand. And life can be so blessed if you will simply submit your will to mine. Number four, God and what could have been. Verse 18, Oh, that thou hast hearkened to my commandments, 
Then had thy peace been as a river, and thy righteousness at the waves of the sea. Letter A. God reminded Judah what they had missed out on. God reminded Judah what they had missed. He described to Judah the life they could have had if they would have only submitted to him and obeyed his commandments. Peace would have been their life. Peace internally and with all those around. Interestingly, he described their peace that they had forsaken as a river. It's a powerful analogy. As in your mind you see a river, the top of the river in a violent storm can have waves on it. But all the while there's these waves on top, the water just keeps flowing, never stops, just keeps flowing. Doesn't matter what's going on on top, the water just keeps flowing. That internal peace that had been available to them had they simply submitted. Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Verse 19, Thy seed also had been as the sand, and the offspring of thy bowels like the gravel thereof. His name should not have been cut off nor destroyed from before me. Letter B, Here's more grief over what Judah missed out on. More grief over what Judah missed. Had Judah remained faithful to her God, their numbers would have multiplied as the sand or gravel of the seashore. Had they not forsaken their God, they would have continued to bear their rightful name instead of being cut off as a nation until 1948. In 1 Kings 9-7, Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house which I hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among the people. Number five, God's continual care. That's what I love so much about these chapters 40 and on. Though they talk once in a while about God's judgment, God just can't get away from reminding them of His mercy. His mercy to this people that He's looking at and giving this prophecy that are all worshiping idols and living wicked, wicked lives. Verse 20, Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans. With a voice of singing declare ye, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth, say ye, the Lord hath redeemed his servant Jacob. Letter A, God looked to the day when Judah would be freed to return to Jerusalem. And, and Judah hadn't even left Jerusalem yet. But oh, he's looking to that day where they will have been in bondage for 70 years and looking past that to when they'll come back into Jerusalem. Before Babylon had even become a world power, God prophesied his people would be deported there and Babylon would be defeated by another greater country led by Cyrus, of course, the Medes and the Persians. After completing their prescribed sentence in Babylon, Judah would be encouraged to return to their homeland and begin rebuilding the temple 
and the city. Of course, this was made available under Cyrus and then Artaxerxes a little later. God wanted all his people to return, but most had grown far too comfortable in Babylon after 70 years. They had established homes. They had built their families. They had businesses in Babylon. Why would they want to go back home to Jerusalem? It's in ruins. Psalm 126, 1 and 2. When the Lord returned or turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. Verse 21. And they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. Letter B. Once again here, God reminded them of his care for them in the past. I was faithful to you. I never let you down. With a view to Judah's return to Jerusalem from Babylon, he sought to encourage them, knowing they'd be fearful. Understand, he is giving them the message before they even leave Jerusalem, but they will have this printed copy when they're in bondage to read, realizing, you know what? We're getting close to the 70 years being up. What's going to happen? Let's find out. Let's read the prophecy. And they realize, after 70 years, we're going back home. He reminded them of his tender care as they departed out of Egypt. He carefully led them and provided for them along the way. He even gave them water out of the rocks. They could trust him to continue to care for them and meet their needs. And then verse 22. There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. Letter C. The peace of God is always beyond the reach of the wicked. God promised provision and his watch care over the remnant who would return from Babylon to rebuild the temple and the city. He would supply great peace to his obedient children. However, to the wicked, whether the heathen or his own people, God had no peace. Their lives would be filled with trouble as in his mercy he tries to point them back to himself. Isaiah 32, verse 17, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness shall quietness and assurance forever. And of course, Psalm 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That's chapter 48. As we march along and chapter after chapter on our way to the end of the book of Isaiah. God is faithful. God is faithful and he's so merciful in spite of the condition of his people. Praise God for his mercy. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your love and I thank you once again for giving us this rich chapter in Isaiah. And Lord, I thank you for allowing us this privilege tonight of exploring it. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us this evening to thank you once again afresh for your mercy. And Lord, I pray that your spirit might continue to work in our hearts, keeping us completely submitted to your will. Lord, thank you for this time. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.